Oh, welcome to Flex Weather. This is Jason Anderson from Black and Red United, and this is a podcast about the NWSL champion, Washington Spirit. Uh, we got a lot to talk about. This episode was delayed for quite a while, as you probably noticed, because the championship game was almost a month ago. Turns out, can't book guests on Thanksgiving, uh, which is something I very nearly did. It would have been very embarrassing for me uh, to do that and just not realize that Thursday was a whole thing um, that week. But that wasn't the only obstacle uh, that I overcame uh, eventually and slowly, uh, admittedly not at the speed I would like to get this one together. Uh, had some tech problems afterwards. But in any case, this episode is real. It exists. You're listening to it. So I won't bog the show down anymore with that. Uh, my guest today to talk about the championship game and not all the spirit news that has happened since then, but some of it because this was recorded a few days ago. Uh, my guest is Lori Lindsay, who covered the game, watched the Spirit in person winning the championship. So we're going to get into the details of the game itself, the bigger picture uh, of the Spirit season, the trade that sent Tegan McGrady to San Diego. Uh, we'll talk about that as well. Lori, in her playing career, briefly played uh, a season for the Spirit with Chris Ward as an assistant coach. So we talked a little bit about his uh, coaching style, what the players may be experiencing with him uh, as as their coach, all of that and more. Very good episode. Very grateful that Lori took the time to speak with me. And because the chat is on the longer side, uh, I'm just going to finish this intro and get on with it. So here's my chat with Lori Lindsay. For the first time on the show, joining me today is former women's national team midfielder, former Washington Spirit midfielder, current NWSL broadcaster among, uh, I believe, many other things. Uh, Lori Lindsay, welcome to Plexweather. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited to chat with you. And we have we have a good deal to get into. The Washington <laughs> spirit, after uh, what some of the players referred to as an entire career's worth of various crises is all happening in a few months, they are the NWSL champions. Uh, this is a podcast that's no longer about a weather problem and is instead about that. So, Lori, I, I guess I want to start with the big the big picture, which is just how impressive is that, that all this stuff happened and this team ended up winning it all? Um, incredible, incredibly impressive, actually. I mean, I think it, when you look at the, the them being the youngest team in the league um, and just everything they went through, and then since I think what was it, August 7th, they went mm-hmm. undefeated all the way to winning the championship. So, um, you know, I don't know actually if we've seen anything quite like that, like a team come together um, that had been pretty, pretty good at the beginning of the season and through the middle of it as well. But you could tell there was inconsistencies, right? They would right when you think mm-hmm. they were going to get on a roll, then there would be a, a tie when you felt like that, that was a, a sure win or mm-hmm. they would lose a game. Right. And then they'd maybe get a couple more wins or another win. And then there'd be a loss or a tie again. And you never just really felt like they could get that consistency in terms of the momentum. And then it, it really felt like there were some little tweaks made and, um, you know, and credit to, from my understanding, Kelly O'Hara and Emily Sonnet, um, really stepping up as team leaders, Andy Sullivan, and, and rallying the team and saying, hey, listen, let's, let's not look, um, you know, let's not look back. Here we go. Mm-hmm. Let's keep winning. And um, goodness, I mean, we can name everybody, right? Like, I mean, Rodman, yeah. what, what a wonderful <laughs> player she is, and players stepping up, right? And that's exactly what you think of um, 
with a team that's going to win championships, that's overcome some of that adversity, and then everyone's stepping up and, and playing their role. Yeah, yeah, I think that's that's exactly right. And it's it's funny that um, I don't know that there's a a team, I'd have to look through the records for the league, but I don't know if there's a team that went on a roll like that to end the season ever. There's always like one loss in there somewhere, even with your Shield winners. Um, they don't go for that long, that many games in a row without dropping a result somewhere in there. Um, right. And, and so it would be kind of historic if this were just the most on-field only, no off-field issues season ever, and instead it was the opposite <laughs> of that. Um, so yeah, like this is a team that could have, um, you know, teams that don't win at all, they could have cited, you could pick spirit, uh, crises and bad news items out of a hat and every team could say, yeah, that could have derailed the season by itself. Um, oh yeah, certainly. <laughs> I agree completely. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I, I think, uh, Kellen Soong just did an article in the Washington city paper. He mentioned that, uh, Aubrey Bledsoe, I guess, sent a message to Tori Huster, just a, a list of the things they had had to deal with this year. And I think it took like three full messages. Um, it did like the character limit was reached um, it is uh, is what the opening said. So, um, yeah, uh, pretty, pretty incredible. I'm, I'm kind of it's it's been a while since the game happened, but I still feel like um kind of blown away by it. it this, by the way, the reason this, this episode came out so far after the championship is that Thanksgiving came and I was like, I'll have someone on Thursday and you can't book people on Thanksgiving. Um, <laughs> that's a, that would have been a bad call, I think on my part. So I was like, maybe I'll hold until uh, the, the following week or something like that. Um, but, uh, but looking back on the game itself, um, one thing I kind of found myself coming back to over and over again um, even in the build-up to the game, is that the Spirit are problem solvers. Uh, they they weren't really that under Richie Burke. They kind of were committed to one way of doing things. It was always, we're going to possess, and that's how we're going to do everything. Um, and the way they shifted was, you know, one of the things they changed was they're much more about, you know, what is happening on the day? What is our opponent like? Um you know, how can we adjust ourselves to this situation rather than saying, how can we make the situation adjust to us? Um, speaking from your experience as a player, how difficult is it to be that kind of team where every single game you're having to make not just little tweaks, but maybe some real stylistic uh, adjustments to to get a win on that day? Yeah, well, you know, I, I think it can be difficult. And I also think, though, credit to the spirit is, in a lot of ways, it might have looked like that they were adjusting, but I think what you saw throughout the end of the season there as well, and when Chris Ward took over, is mm -hmm. them playing, you know, having some versatility to the style that they played. So, as you mentioned, under Richie Burke, there's a lot of talk about getting 600 passes, being a bit more pragmatic in their approach, you know, the two center backs getting really um, wide in possession um, that left them exposed um, defensively at some point in time. And, and, and you could see as the season wore on, they were comfortable with keeping possession, but they also had the ability to be able to go more vertical, be more direct, and um, beat their opponents in a variety of ways. So I think mm -hmm. that's more what we saw instead of um, wholesale changes to um, what their opponent was doing. And in fact, I think, you know, you can make the argument, and, and I, I, I know what you're saying, Jason, in terms mm -hmm. of them looking at the opponent and saying, like, okay, what, what little tweaks can we do? But I think, you know, in terms of um, just the game itself, 
that's what you do do as a team, mm -hmm. right? You yeah. you say, hey, what are our strengths? Where can we shift? You know, and I think Chris Ward and, and even the players had been pretty vocal about, hey, we wanted to tighten some things up defensively. Um, so we didn't want to get as um, stretched or as wide with our center backs. We wanted to stay a little bit tighter, um, make sure that we weren't exposed on the counterattack or even just split through the middle. And, yeah, can we um, – just be more difficult to play against, right? And I think mm. that's what we saw. Um, and then as, a, as, a, as those last games went on and they started to build momentum, I think you just saw that, hey, we understand our principles. We understand what we're all about. Now where can we look for little things that we feel like are weaknesses for other team? And who can we utilize on our team to um, expose that or, um, you know, take advantage of? Mm -hmm. I think that's, yeah, that's, that's really well put. I think that's putting it better than I was putting it uh, for sure. Um, I, I, yeah, that that's, it, it's an interesting thing to watch a team develop in that way. Um, especially because a lot of, a lot of teams in the league tend to be kind of the same home and away to a certain extent. There's, there's mm -hmm. a little less uh, pragmatism in NW. So a lot of the teams are trying to come out, and and play a little bit more than in some other leagues and um it is interesting to see the spirit kind of you know figure out over time not just in a given game but over time that um they can be uh you know more versatile like you said in in their approach um and and succeed that way after you know not just it wasn't just this year that they were the the possession only possession only uh it was going back to 2019 going back through 2020 um, so they kind of had to, um, you know, I'm sure they've been thinking about it. Uh, coaches and players probably were thinking about it for quite a while, but still putting it into practice seems like, a maybe, maybe August in, in the, after coaching change is not the time that you would pick if you had to pick a moment to put that into practice, but it's uh, pretty <laughs> impressive that, uh, it happened when it did and it, it clearly worked. I mean, it wasn't just, these weren't lucky wins uh, in, in almost every case. I think the, the semifinal was the only one where it was like, okay, that one could have gone another way. Um, yeah. The rest of the, the rest of the games on those runs were like, yeah, they were the better team. Oh, certainly. You know, and I think there's a couple of things to that, right? I think mm -hmm. massive credit to the team as a whole, right? Because this is a young team that could, and you alluded to it earlier on, is this team could have imploded easily, right? With everything mm -hmm. they went through, no one would have blamed them if this team would have just fallen over and didn't win another game, honestly, because it was just after you have to forfeit a couple games, right? You're, you're constantly um, having investigations, like you just get it, right? Like, but I mean, they, they absolutely went the other way, especially with the youth that they have too, and not mm -hmm. some of those, they're big players. I mean, Trinity Rodman is the one, right? Um, and then also like, you know, what I, is, as much as it has been so challenging for everybody this year, no doubt, mm -hmm. um, I think what we saw too, which is exciting, you know, is from a, a former player, a player, somebody that loves this game, who broadcasts this league, um, is, uh, you know, we talk a lot about it, the bravery of the players, but also mm -hmm. the bravery in, in the coaching, right, with mm -hmm. um Lee Wynn, Chris Ward, them willing to make, I think it was Chris's first game where he made, what was it, three subs at halftime? And yeah. like you just don't see that typically, mm -hmm. right? And I think um, just making those adjustments. And, you know, typically you see very, very familiar patterns throughout the season. This is going to come off the bench, and this is what we're going to do. And, you know, I mean, just the, the willingness to say, hey, this is what we need in a specific game. 
it doesn't mean that we disconnect um, credit somebody. And, you know, I even think about um, in the final game, um, the mm-hmm. championship with Ashley Sanchez. I mean, getting called into the U.S. Women's National Team camp here in, uh, just the past week in Australia, no doubt a very special player and um, was excellent this season. Um, yet, you know, gets pulled um well, I'm trying to remember exactly, maybe the 75th minute or so. And I felt like she was just starting to catch on and like starting to get into, you know, the final third and Chicago mm-hmm. was starting to get a little bit heavy, heavy legged. And um, yeah, Chris Ward made the substitute, right? He goes, at that point in time, we needed um, somebody could, you know, win tackles, could win yeah. the second balls in the air. And she's not going to give us that. And that mm-hmm. doesn't mean that we don't value her, right? But we need something else. And I'm not so sure. And this isn't, um, no bash on um richie's coaching you know Mm. let alone everything else but um we wouldn't have seen that under him no doubt you know like just from everything that happened previous years you wouldn't have seen that and so i mean just credit to i think everybody involved is is my whole point yeah yeah uh i i definitely agree that that that's a a perfect example of a, a a change to the game plan that would not have occurred i don't think unless unless there was an injury um it would have taken that i think um so thinking about uh the final uh specifically um i kind of want to ask you know because we know you i'm I'm sure from watching the game chicago took the lead they started very well um but the spirits slowly started to find their way into the game um and part of that is is kind of we've already you've mentioned her three or four times now is just Trinity Rodman found her way into the game and kind of yeah. kind of shifted the whole tone and, and mentality of everyone in the game uh, in, in a, a few minutes. It was really something incredible. So I was wondering, you know, what do you think set the stage for that? Uh, you know, because we tend to want to say this player just suddenly was playing brilliantly, but like things have to lead up to that. It's not just that a player is thinking I'm playing fine. And they say, Oh, maybe I could play a little better. Everyone's trying to play their best the whole time. Um, <laughs> so what, what allowed, what allowed that to, to take shape? Well, you know, it was interesting that you asked that because I remember asking we um, myself and Allie Wagner and Jane Hildreth and Marissa Pillar, our sideline reporter, we were all had a meeting with both the coaches, Rory and, and, and Chris Pryor. And we mm-hmm. asked that to, to Chris, um, you know, what is, and I think actually a few games leading up to that championship, but I, I had continuously asked Chris what the difference was with Trinity Rodman because I also had their semifinal game against OL Reign. Mm-hmm. And he goes, you know, all the credit to her because throughout this season, you know, at the beginning, you're learning, you're understanding what being a pro is like. Um, and, you know, at times, you know, at training, it could be like, okay, you're just excited to when you're doing shooting or, or some sort of um, – um, activity at, at the end of training or something, just happy to get your, your shots on frame, right? And then at the, mm. over the course of the season, it became where she was like, we've got to score goals, we've got to score goals, and then not only demanded more of herself, but mm. demanded more um, from her teammates as well. So it just painted a picture of her evolution as well. Mm. Um, and I mean, and then set us, let alone, I think it's just confidence, right? You're, you're scoring game winners. You're an integral part. I think the way that they played towards the end of the season, um, you know, played to her strengths a lot more. Um, no doubt can she get out in the wing and um, be utilized in possession and um, track back and help defensively. But also, goodness, I mean, 
arguably the best um, on the break in the in this league as a mm-hmm. rookie, right? I mean, yeah. so dangerous. And I think that was so my entire point is that I don't think this just um, developed over the course of 90 minutes in the championship game. Mm-hmm. I think it was obviously slow moving and then accelerated throughout the season, um, especially when they started to have some more versatility in their attack. And, you know, she's a phenomenal player that has so many tools. We talk about her athleticism all day, but she can take players on. She can score goals in different ways. And, and her and Ashley Hatch, um, started to really come together and you know you can throw Sanchez in that mix as well um but they started to understand one another and um how to play off and and she's opportunistic put herself in great positions and I think throughout that game against Chicago the one thing that was very clear is and and Chicago could flip that narrative as well they wanted to keep it um really tight right um Mm -hmm. And, and not leave themselves exposed um, on the counter with um, a player like Trini Rodman being able to get in behind. Um, but as the game wore on, right, and, and they got that equalizer, Chicago was going to have to come out. And, and it's just about taking those moments. And I think that just you just showed the youth as well and Trinity's ability to continue to continue to run. Um, and listen, one side, the youth is awesome. And that's fantastic. Mm-hmm. And then to be able to do that at 19 years old, um, to have be able to make that jump already is 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 fantastic because it's yeah. it's a tough jump, right? When you haven't really played college soccer at all, mm-hmm. and then you have to make that jump to the pros, it's not easy. And I mean, she just <laughs> made it look smooth and um, like it was no big deal. Yeah, uh, it, it really it really is kind of kind of wild to think of, even by the first three or four months of the season, you know, May, June, July, uh, it wasn't like, well, when it, you know, she's had a few good games here and there, it was like, yeah, this is just a starter. Um, yeah. At times it's kind of hard to remember that we're talking about a player who hasn't even turned 20 yet and is playing like professional game number seven um, <laughs> rather than, you know, number, you know, 70. Um, yeah. I also, I, I just, it, it, it kind of occurred to me, um, not in the moment watching the game, but only later was the one of the common threads in these games in the playoffs um, with the North Carolina game, as well as the Chicago game is that the spirit just seemed to outlast teams from a fitness perspective. Um, And this wasn't necessarily them wearing teams down by having 60, 70% of the possession. It was just that they seemed able to, stay closer to uh their peak uh for a longer portion of the game as as the other team started to run out of gas um the spirit just didn't um which is another kind of a kind of an amazing achievement to me because i know that they're you know getting training in has been extraordinarily difficult it hasn't been the show up at 10 a.m here do training do your uh your your cool down and and get treatment and go home it's been like, well, today we have to train at one thirty out in, you know, here. And then tomorrow training has to be over here and it's like an hour away. Um, so that aspect of it has also been really remarkable to me because, you know, normally in the past, when you think of the courage or Chicago, you think of teams that tend to in their different ways, grind you down. Um, mm-hmm. And this was the exact opposite. The spirit were from, you know, halftime on, it just seemed like they had more in the tank. Um, I, I don't know if that's how you felt about it, but to me, it was like, 
wow, it just seems like, you know, both Chicago and, and the courage just hadn't had nothing left to give. And, and the rain to a lesser extent, I think they kind of fell into a trap of frustration more than anything uh, the way yeah. that game was going for them. But um, I don't know. Did, did you read it like that or did you have a different take on it? Yeah, no, I think that's a fair assessment as well. Um, and I think some of that has to do with, um, again, youth, right? That is that's mm-hmm. massive. If you're going, if you have a good balance of being able to keep possession and feeling comfortable at times with that, but then also to be able to go more vertical, the youth is going to help, right? Especially mm-hmm. over a course of the season when no doubt that um, emotionally these players were exhausted, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, in, in some regards, that was not only the youth in terms of like the legs out in the field to be able to last longer during this length of the season, being the longest season in the NWL history as well. But I mm-hmm. think also, um, you know, um, naivety as well. That helps, right? There's a lot of um, players that have been through some grinding seasons and there's some you know, there's some teams that, um, you know, lost more players to the Olympics, which would have also taken a toll, you know, mm-hmm. the latter part. And so I think, you know, there's a couple of things outside of everything that the spirit went through. They also had some, a lot of balance in terms of not losing a ton of key, key starters. Like, you mm-hmm. know, Amy Sullivan didn't go to the Olympics, right? You lost really Kelly and Sonnet, who are the, the main starters outside of um, Julie Rotter and um, Sayori. Mm-hmm. Um so, and, and so, but Emily Sutton and Kelly O'Hara were the two that were the main starters, right? And right. then also they had a really good balance. I think a balance in terms of experienced players and then youth um, who can continue to push when it's necessary at the um, latter parts of the game. And in mm-hmm. your case, as you mentioned, and I agree in the, even really just the last 45 minutes. Yeah. Well, all right, I, I we could talk about the championship. I, I this could probably be it probably will be the subject of multiple podcasts in the offseason because it's still kind of incredible to me that it happened. But I don't want this to be a six hour episode. Um, so <laughs> uh, I'm I'm going to move us on to um, the big spirit news post championship. Um, Washington traded Tegan McGrady. Uh, they're one of or I guess it would have been their only first round pick that they had acquired from the rain previously in the Rose Lavelle trade and an international slot in 2022 to San Diego to get immunity in the expansion draft uh, from San Diego, not from Angel City. It's very complicated. Um, I, I, I'm both <laughs> pleased to be fluent in the trade, the tradeology of American soccer, but it's also like, I wish this were easier. Um, but, but in any case, uh, what do you make of, of this deal uh, from the Spirits' perspective? Uh, obviously, you're giving up a player that was a playoff starter um, mm-hmm. and and a lot more uh, just to make sure they don't lose anyone. Yeah, you know, well, uh, I agree with you. I'm working this draft, or the both drafts, mm-hmm. and I'm thinking I wish these were easier as well. <laughs> like <laughs> Somebody tell me what the deal is happening and we'll go from there. But, um, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of this, I think, you know, this is um, – you know, without really knowing and having um, dived into what um, San Diego was specifically looking for or what their um, impact in terms of getting Tegan McGrady, because there's no doubt Tegan McGrady is an excellent outside back, um, mm-hmm. true left-footed player who played an important role um, for for Washington. So a tough tough player to, to give up. But I think when you're looking at these teams, 
the way that I look at it is on, on one side, if you're San Diego, you're, you're doing all you can to, to build your team through players that have proven that they are great in this league and still have years to continue to um, be impactful. And typically the teams that we've seen be most successful have done that with getting defensive players that have proven their worth as well. And Tegan McGrady fits all of that, right? Um, so it's a huge pickup for San Diego in that regard, if that's how they are approaching or looking to approach um, building their team. Obviously, they already have Abby Dahlkemper as their, their very first pick as well. So the, that structure is in place. And then I think if you're looking at it from the Washington spirit um, point of view, um, knowing it's a big loss, but if you can get immunity and looking at your entire team as um, a whole, you basically, Tegan wasn't a start of the entire time, battled through some injuries mm-hmm. um, at the beginning. Um, then you are looking at this as like, okay, how can we continue to keep the majority of this team intact? Um, and knowing that Kelly O'Hara and Emily Sonnet in particular and Andy Sullivan would be the players that were up, those would be three of your biggest leaders on the team. How can we get immunity? Because you still have Jordan DiBiase, you have Bailey Fife that will be back. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is a team that could really cause some, could go on almost a North Carolina Courage dynasty run um, for these next few years um, with, the, with the depth that they have. So for them, I, I think of it as like you are trying to do whatever you can to keep your team intact. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, you are going to have to give up something for that. And I feel at, at this point in time, it was no doubt that the San Diego wave was going to say, We're, we want Tegan. Yeah. And as much as that hurts, you're going to do what you can then to solidify that you're not going to lose any more outside of that. Yeah, I, I came, you know, I came to think of it over the last uh, day as sort of like, you know, I think they did overpay a little bit, um, but it's also like if you're at the airport and it's 5.30 a.m. and the one coffee stand that opens is charging, you know, absolute like one percenter level prices for gourmet coffee, but what you're getting is just like a standard Starbucks or Dunkin' Donuts you know, you're going to take the hit and say, okay, fine. I'm going to overpay because yeah. I, I, I got to have this thing right now. Um, yeah. it's, you know, it's a moment where I'm willing to spend a little more to get the thing that I got to get. Um, or yeah, exactly. Or at least to have some like clearer picture on going forward. Right. And like I, yeah. I have in quotes control, right. Of what yeah. it looks like going forward, which is, which is tough when you have two drafts coming up. So. Yeah, yeah, uh, that's a that's a really good point. Just uh, getting getting a little bit of a handle on things, a little more of a handle than just saying whatever whatever these expansion teams do, I just have to abide by it. Um, get, getting some input is a is a pretty big deal. Um, I know from the the MLS coverage I've done that the teams that are bystanders end up regretting it uh, pretty much every single time, um, but. It doesn't make it very fun, I, I don't think, for anyone, uh, because the end result is still doing something you probably didn't want to do. Um, so, right. you know, looking forward with um, with the spirit now that uh, Tegan McGrady is gone, um, what do you think of their left back situation uh, going for us? I mean, obviously, we're so early in the offseason, it might not look like this come spring, but what do you think of it as of today? Yeah, I mean, I think that Julia Rotter showed that she has a lot of tools, has experience, obviously, internationally, um, and 
you know, um, typically would be the one that would go in for Tegan McGrady if they were going to make a sub in that position. I think that is a, a position, though, that they will they will look to fill. I mean, I think the, the special thing outside of Tegan McGrady's just general overall understanding um, and, and quality of player she is, is that she's a natural left-footed player. She's a, a mm. natural left-back, and you don't find many of those. It's, you know, as we've seen in the constant debate with our U.S. Women's National Team, right? So, um, but, you know, right now, if, if Julie Rotter is staying, then that is an option that I think that, that could fill in there. But I think, you know, looking forward, is this, um, you know, somebody, you know, there's still a lot of times you just alluded to from now until preseason. So do they go and look for, you know, is there going to be movement international players international wise can you um, shift players around that are currently on the team um, Helferty had played in that position as well you give her more experience even though in the latter part of the season we saw her play higher up the field um, but there there's some options right and so I, I it wouldn't be something that I'd be completely concerned about but I would say listen when you're looking at the depth of the team as a whole and you're you're putting the pieces in of where the team is currently that would be an area that I would think okay, you have that circled because you might have some options, but who's going to take that spot and what is the best option and do we need to look for some more depth going forward? Mm -hmm. uh, so staying, staying off the field, um, Steve Goff at the Washington Post has reported that the Spirit have had some preliminary talks uh, to some degree with Chris Ward over taking the head coach position, which I, I don't think too many people would be surprised by when they go undefeated mm -hmm. for several months and win a championship. Um, but Lori, you had uh, Chris as a coach, but way back in the Spirits' first season, he was on the uh, the staff as an assistant. Um, what was that experience like? Uh, you know, what what do you remember? Um, you know, operating under him as a player. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, well, I remember Chris bringing a different skill set, like a different knowledge mm. than some coaches, right? And it was like being able to take players. I think the unique skill set that he has is being able to work with players individually and help bring out some of the um, finer points in their game. And even if it's just little tweaks, right. But then mm -hmm. also being able to look at the team as a whole and make those tweaks. Right. And I think, mm -hmm. you know, it wasn't surprising to me um, that one, he was able to get everybody operating um, together um, and but I think the biggest thing that wasn't a surprise to me, and I think I don't know if everyone saw it this way, is that here's a coach that um, you know this team has a lot of has had and has a ton of quality, right? And it was like, where do we need to make a few changes? And we do that by let's listen to the players first. What are they asking for? That's going to make them feel most comfortable. And I think he did that, right? And that's mm. a massive skill set, and we've heard basically every club speak about mm -hmm. being listened to this year, right? Yeah. Um, both on and off the field. And then also making just little changes. This team didn't get overhauled starting August 7th, right? There was just a little bit of adjustments needed to be made to bring out not only individuals quality, but um, the entire teams. And I think, mm -hmm. and, and it goes back to what I was talking about before, just you know, when you look at different substitution patterns, yes, there was some similarities as, a, as the course of that latter 10 or 11 games went on, but also there was some things that you're like, huh, this is interesting. Why was this, this decision being made, right? Mm -hmm. And then you, I would ask, 
the next game when we had a broadcast and it was you know it was easy to be able to how do I say it um identified it wasn't these wasn't soccer's not a rock it's not rocket science right and so it was just subtle adjustments and and that's what I remember as a player listen this doesn't have to be huge overhauls it doesn't have to be um, mind-blowing right to get the best you can make mm -hmm. subtle adjustments that could um transform a, a team in, in many ways and that's what mm -hmm. I saw well, that's that's it's really interesting because it is you know we, we tend to think of coaches as kind of monolithic I think from the outside but you know they obviously have to bring different things to the table to work as a group um and it's not too often in NWSL that someone who has been Chris's kind of coach where he's been an assistant for a long time he's been a one-on-one -on -one, you know individual development kind of coach um he's coached at a bunch of different levels um so it, it's interesting to hear what he what, what those experiences inform him um, uh, as to what needs to be done because a lot of teams team and and maybe this is something the league needs to learn from is just um, a lot of teams have been very top down. Uh, the the coach says this is how it will be and that is that, um, and we've seen some major off field flaws with that top down. There's only one person to go through kind of uh, organization. Um, but it also, it can translate badly on the field. Um, and, yep. and we're, you know, the spirit, I think are a shining example of a, you know, a collaborative system possibly being, uh, advisable for the league. I, I would hope that they don't need soccer reasons to guide them in that direction, but, um, yep. may, maybe it can help, uh, is, is yeah. what I would say about that. Um, so the, the spirit, you know, they, they win the championship. They get to go party in Louisville. It looked like they partied pretty enthusiastically, uh, which full credit to them. I I endorse it uh, wholeheartedly. But some of those players had to basically get themselves together the next morning and get on a plane uh, because of this international window. Um, I don't want to give short shrift to Sayori Takarada, Karina Rodriguez, or uh, Mariana Speckmeyer, who scored for Venezuela. Congrats to her, um, her first international goal. But... I didn't get to see those games. Um, I did get to see these U.S. games that were played uh, it, deep in the night. Um, and I wanted to talk to you about um, the spirit players that were in those games, because all, you know, Ashley Hatch, Ashley Sanchez, Emily Sonnet, Andy Sullivan, they all played. They all played in both games, um, mm -hmm. the three nothing win and then a one one draw. Um, I guess we you know, going through each player, we'd probably have to start with the the player that got the headlines who it's Ashley Hatch coming in and uh, scoring almost instantaneously in that first game and then scoring only slightly sl uh, more slowly in that second game. Um, <laughs> you know, coming off of, she's got a golden boot. She scores a playoff overtime game winner. She then immediately rolls in and scores national team goals uh, in her uh, third and fourth caps uh, ever. Um, what did you think of her work in these two games? Obviously scoring, is a great way to say, you know, hey, Black Coke, call me for the next one as well. Um, but what did you think of the overall picture? Yeah, I think, you know, um, all of those players, um, you know, it looked as if they looked comfortable at that level, right? Um, mm -hmm. Obviously, Andy and Emily Sonnet have had a, a, a number of experiences. And then Ashley Hatch, as you just mentioned, getting a couple of goals. And for an attacker like that, um, you know, 
unfortunately and fortunately in some ways that's what you're judged on right if you're scoring goals or not and we've seen this is a player that is has a lot of confidence right now in my opinion and that's what that's what we're seeing and she's putting herself in, in great positions but also she's she's a, a a team forward right she's going to work hard for the team and, mm-hmm. and do what she needs to defensively but then also get herself into the box and again put herself in the right positions um you know, with again with Sonnet and uh, a player like Andy Sullivan, I think with more experience at this level, they have and are continuously showing that they can consistently perform at this level, mm-hmm. right? And I think you know, as, as a somebody that played at that level, I think that's the biggest misconception is that like, oh, you do well in in the league, then you know you you should be playing with the national team, and. Mm-hmm. I 100% will always go to bat. If you do well in the league, I think this is what it's all about, right? You get called up into um, the national team, especially in those January camps. Give yourself mm-hmm. a shot, no doubt. But mm-hmm. I don't think well, – I think where the biggest misconception is is that how people don't understand the biggest – how big of a difference that is just even playing in the NWSL to going to the international level. I mean, it is such a cutthroat environment. The understanding of, like, the smallest little details that separate players um, having to perform um, not only in the games, but every day at training to compete to get yourself in one of those spots. And, mm-hmm. you know, so for um, players like Sanchez and Ashley Hatch – you know, Hatch already put herself in a great position with the two goals, but now can she do that when it matters the most, right? Mm-hmm. And inconsistently. And, and then the same with um, Sanchez, right? Like when she comes on the field, if she's not going to start, is she putting herself in the best positions to, um, you know, to to perform? And mm-hmm. you know, that was my only with the Sanchez. That would be my only knock a little bit her on her this season is I think she has so many tools. Um, that you don't see a lot of players um, in this league with her little touches, her movements that she puts her um, can can employ, but also the little spots that she puts herself in. But then, mm. what's the finishing product, right? And in terms of more assists, more goals, and that will be the um, that will be what that's like for her at the at the national team level. Can she can she have more of an impact? So mm. I think. You know, Sanchez with some of the limited minutes, it was, it's difficult to, to totally yeah. assess. But, um, you know, that, that's what will be required, is at the highest level, can you make that impact um, going forward inconsistently? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, you know, that's, I'm glad you brought that up because was, that was going to be one of my, my questions here is, um, you know, what, what's next? Uh, because yeah. she got these minutes, she got these caps, it's obviously a big deal. But um, how do you make sure you're getting called in not just for – December and January camps, but um, when there's qualifying coming around the corner, uh, how do you get in, mm-hmm. in that roster? Um, right. Which I, I, you know, I completely agree that um, it really is that like game in game out consistency. And it's something that um, I think early on with Rose Lavelle, there were some of the similar um, thought process is, you know, obviously yeah. she's very unique, but how do you bring that to the table every single game and every single training session? Um, mm-hmm. So that's, uh, I, I can't imagine that there, you know, that there are probably people drawing that parallel with Sanchez and, and her offseason plan and um, all that stuff, because it, there are a lot of similarities there. I feel like not just in playing style, um, that that consistency is is the next step. And hopefully for her, she she brings it uh, because I think, 
you know, any, I think any team would like to have a player that plays like her. You you want to see that. That's what everyone's watching the game for ultimately. Um, yeah. At, at least I think. Yeah, no, exactly. And, you know, I think also too, in, in some situations, and, and this is where it's tough, right? It's because we have one U.S. women's national team. And how do the players fit in to that style, right? I mean, mm -hmm. we can use Katarina Macario to that. Like, I don't, we have not seen the best of Katarina Macario. And is right. that because we just haven't seen the best of Katarina Macario? Or is right now the system not totally benefiting the way that she plays? You know, I would maybe make the argument that that is the latter because mm -hmm. we are seeing her, um, you know, in Lyon, she's scoring goals, she's having a good start. And, you know, when she gets to the national team right now, is it different pace? And again, is it is it, it could be both, right? A little bit of right. both. Still getting used to it. She's a young player, as as we all know, and um, so that could be a situation with Sanchez too. Where where is she best suited? How does she fit in with the current players and in the style that um, the team's playing? Because that that second game, I mean, both games were wide open, but that second yeah. game too are wide open. So can you impact a game like that when you're playing in the World Cup? And it's like for lack of better understanding, a track beat, right? So, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So those are the questions. There's a lot that goes into it outside of just like, hey, I'm, I'm consistently showing up and performing well at the NWSL, right? Mm -hmm. so. Yeah, yeah, uh, 100%. Um, you know, moving a little further into the midfield, um, obviously Andy Sullivan started both of these games. She played almost the full 90 in both, um, went the full 90 in the one and then came off late in the other. Um, it's all kind of foggy because these games happened in deep in the night. Um, and I, I the the international dateline is never not going to confuse me. I know I understand it in my brain, but my my instincts don't want to understand it. So, yeah, I was completely discombobulated watching these games. Um, <laughs> but I, I wanted to to get your general impression of how you think Sullivan did uh, playing. She's been getting these appearances lately. Uh, as as the number six, um, it appears to be kind of after a couple of years of the timing not being right and, you know, maybe an injury popping up just when her opportunity with the national team was opening. Um, this time it appears like it's kind of been for a couple of months uh, a great time to show her best at that level. How do you think she's done? Yeah, I mean, I, I really, um, you know, being a former center man myself, I um, – and really enjoy the way that Annie Sullivan plays. And Becky Sauerbrunn and I, when we were training together and when we lived in D.C., Annie would come out with us sometimes. So um, I, I just really appreciate um, what she brings. And I think it goes back to kind of what I was saying even about Sanchez, right? Like I think mm -hmm. Andy is starting to get more even confident in herself, right, coming back from her injuries, um, also just getting more minutes, now getting called in a little bit more regularly, having a better understanding of – what is being asked of her and um, seems like Blacko is, is very high on her and has a lot of confidence in her and the way that she plays. Uh, mm -hmm. I think personally, Andy's at her best when though the team is a bit more in, in possession, right? And she mm -hmm. can get a hold of the ball and no doubt can she cover a lot of ground and um, um, energy wise, her engine is, is fantastic, but it's, you know, I think in both of those games, it was tough for the midfield, right? Unless you're going to, get on the ball and start running and it's it's tough because it is back and forth right and and for a player that how I see Andy 
is again more possession but it can also open the game by switching the point when needed or or playing balls over the top um that's when she's going to be at her best so i think it kind of goes back in in finding that balance and i think this team will evolve like these are the first mm-hmm. two games where we saw pretty big overhaul right in in right. the group and still good performances no doubt so um a, a great sign and i think as this team specifically and expecting some of those other more experienced players to be folded in as well. I think we'll get a clearer picture um, with Andy and, and her putting her stamp on this team. Because I think to, to specifically answer what you asked, I think she's done great. Mm-hmm. And I still think there's another level for Andy Sullivan that we haven't seen yet. And that is, you know, I think wrapped in with some confidence, but also getting a clear understanding of how she can be impactful and, and make the most. Um, of of the teams that she's on mm-hmm. well, that makes sense uh, i i think i think i agree um with 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 both point with both aspects of the answer um b- before we finish up with the national team segment i do i don't want to give you know emily sonnets obviously out of those players has played by far the most with the national team um but i don't want to treat that as an afterthought or as a given um one of the questions that i saw popping up especially more people were awake for that um that that 11 p.m. Eastern kickoff um, was that people were saying like wow Sonnet played so well as a center back this year um, but she's back as a fullback with the national team um, so I guess I kind of want to frame the question around that idea which is do you feel like she's going to get an opportunity to maybe state her case as a center back or is that maybe a thing that is maybe happening in training and the outcome is, well, we think you should still be a right back in the end. <laughs> I personally probably think that they think she's going to be a right back. Mm-hmm. I mean, listen, like this is the beauty of, of soccer, right? Cause it's like, it's, um, you know, can debate different things and it's subjective in a lot of ways and um, people see things differently. I personally think that um, Emily Sonnet is a, a center back through and through. Can she play mm-hmm. right back? Yes. However, that's not her position, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, I'm sure Vaca, because he's playing her at right back, um, and he's the coach of the U.S. Women's National Team, so he gets to choose. Yeah. <laughs> but it would, I would, I would be like, love to go back and forth with him a little bit because I think we've seen her performances and how confident she is, and how good she is, um, and that center back position. Um, that I think you either play in that center back position and you win it out, or. Mm-hmm. You don't play, right? Like, because I mean, right. there's, there's some really good right backs that mm-hmm. I think, um, unfortunately, are better right backs. So, um, yeah, that's that's kind of how I feel about it. But um, you know, I'm also not the coach of the U.S. Women's National Team, um, so <laughs> but doesn't mean we can't debate about it. I sure. just think, yeah, I just think Emily Sonnet is through and through a center back. Had a great season. I think she was one of the biggest difference makers, if not the biggest difference maker in that latter part of the season for after the Olympics for the Washington Spirit and fight out for the center back position. And on top of that, it's unfortunate because you have some of the best center backs in the world competing, right? You have Becky Sarba and mm-hmm. Davidson, Abby Dahlkemper. I mean, I'm, I'm missing some as well. It's just like, I mean, you have yeah. some really quality center backs and but that's always been the case. We had the same situation in the midfield, and we had the same situation in the in the striker position as well, um, all three positions. So that's kind of how I feel about it. Um, mm-hmm. But um, I think we'll continue to see her play in that right back position on yeah. the national. 
Yeah, I think that's that's probably going to be the case, especially, you know, there are players like Alana Cook coming through. Naomi Gurma will probably be there before yeah. too long if her trajectory from college to the professional ranks continues. So, yeah, um, yeah it's it's a log jam. Uh, it's 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 rough because, you know, I I found myself looking through some of the the league data and all this all these signs were saying like you know sonnet is not being appreciated enough for how well she's playing on an individual level within this team structure um and it didn't really start i think people finally started noticing once they got into the playoffs and it, and the shutouts kept piling up um and you know maybe maybe it helped that she blocked 16 to 20 shots in that rain game um maybe that caught people's eye as well but yeah i i do i do imagine that you're right that right back slash left back is going to be still the thing and, and her versatility will always get her in, but um, it would be nice. I feel like to see, you know, a lot of players get to have their one or two caps to sort of make their case. And I would like to see that somewhere in somewhere along the lines, we've got some time, maybe, maybe this uh, January we'll see it. I don't know. But um, before we go, um, because I think, I think we're hitting uh, the, time i promised i would get you out of here um so i i have to ask this this show is called plex weather and there's going to become a point where none of the players are going to know what i'm talking about um or why the show is named this uh but as we've mentioned you did play for the spirit you've played at the the maryland soccer plex before i have to ask uh do you have any memories from your days playing at the plex uh encountering the phenomenon that is uh the weather at the soccer plex uh, yeah, I mean, it's hilarious. It's like every game in the summer, are we going to have the sirens go off for some mm-hmm. sort of um, lightning um, cautionary delay? Mm-hmm. So, yes, um, too many, in fact. And also some as a broadcaster as well. Like when you're like, mm-hmm. wait a second, <laughs> you might be here through midnight. Is this game ever going to be played? So, right. yes, it is. Um, it, I have many memories, I should say, from that. Yeah, that's uh that that sounds about right. Um, the the prospect of hanging out at the Panera in Germantown uh for a game that might kick off at at ten thirty, um, is uh burned into my brain. I'll be telling I'll be telling people about it when I'm a very old man. So, um, <laughs> I, I think uh I don't know I I don't know that we've got anything quite like it. I I couldn't help but um, couldn't help but name the podcast this because it's like such a a weird odd thing that only i feel like only happens in nwsl um yeah. you don't encounter this in, feel that way. in anyone else's league so well laurie uh thank you so much for coming on uh, i really appreciate it i don't know why anyone would be following or listening to this podcast and they don't know where to find you but where can people find you online <laughs> yeah well first of all thanks um uh, really enjoyed the conversation thanks for having me on and um at Lori Lindsay six Instagram at Lori Lindsay six the same um, EY um, on Twitter as well. And that's almost the show anyway. That's the bulk of the show. Thanking Lori again for her time, her expertise. Uh, it was a really fun chat that uh, I hope you enjoyed as much as I did. Obviously, this is coming after uh, some more Spirit news. No news about ownership. Reporting in the Athletic and the Washington Post and the Sports Business Journal about the ongoing. I don't know how even to describe it because uh, it's not I would call it a bidding war, except one party is only accepting bids from one party and not from all parties, which is a whole thing. 
I'm going to try and do a real episode on that in the future if I can. But this episode is plenty long enough and I don't want to sort of muddy the waters with both of those. You know, the game was a very important. It's a championship. The trade, I think, merited uh, the attention it got. But I don't want to muddy the waters and have an episode that is both about the championship and a trade and Chris Ward as a coach and also some ownership stuff. So going to kind of try and separate those things out. Also, the episode, as you probably picked up on, was recorded before the expansion draft. I am putting this out the day before the expansion draft. Don't have too much of a preview on that because, I, again, I don't want to muddy the waters and make this a six-hour episode. I will be back soon with an expansion draft reaction episode. Hopefully, I can line up a couple guests and we can talk through the whole thing on that front. So I think that's it. I think that's all this episode is going to focus on. Thank you for listening again. Those are two. I have now put myself up for two different uh, episodes in the near future. So I will keep busy uh, at doing this here podcast. And uh, I will make sure in my brain to not think, hey, it's a big holiday that a lot of people celebrate. Maybe I'll line up for a guest, as a guest on the day of that holiday. Probably not going to do that. Uh, if you're a person that might be invited on as a guest, I'm not going to call you up and be like, do you want to talk to me on like 9 a.m. New Year's morning, uh, New Year's Day? That's not a time that I plan on being awake. Uh, that's a sleeping in day. Don't, don't bother me at that time, certainly. And I won't bother you. Uh, I will be probably in bed. Anyway, that is this episode of the show. If you enjoyed it, you can find all the past episodes, the Plexweather website, which is plexweather.pinecast.co. There is a tip jar uh, link at the bottom of that page if you scroll past the episodes. If you want to financially support the show, that is the best place to do it. It would mean the world to me. I want to take a second to give a special shout out to all the people that bought their Spirit Championship merch, their Breaking Tea hoodies, shirts, mugs through the affiliate link that Breaking Tea set up for Black and Red United. Uh, it makes a tremendous difference and it wasn't a small amount of money. Uh, so very much my, my cut of my portion of that and also very importantly, I don't know the percentages, but I know that the NWSL Players Association also gets a share of that, and that goes directly to the players. So if you're on the fence about supporting me, but you would like to support them and and are okay if I if I receive some money as well, go to Black and Red United. The link to get those, or the article with the link to get those shirts in a way that gets that money, that cut of those sales going to the Players Association and, and to yours truly. Uh, is right on the front page. You'll be able to see it. The shirts are there. They look pretty cool. I'm not just saying that uh, as a shirt huckster, uh, which is apparently a thing I'm doing now, but also I think they are genuinely good designs. The podcast itself, back to that, now that I'm done with my special shout out, you can find it on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, probably some other places that I don't even know about. The Plexweather Twitter account is at Plexweather, all one word. My personal Twitter account, which is where you'll find the spirit news and such is going to be at or is going to be and has been and will continue to be and is currently in the present uh, at all times in all directions of space and time is at Jason DC soccer again, all one word. And now that I've gotten into the concept of time and space, it's probably time to end the episode. Thanks for listening.